Sir, I will alert you to the fact that I woke up today knowing that the Pacific Southwest region mm -hmm. had a call in around somewhere around 9 to 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. And I said, the only way I'm going to remember all these numbers is if I write them down. And I normally carry a three by six inch piece of cardboard, a white piece of cardboard mm -hmm. in my pocket mm -hmm. for notes, you know, where I'm going, phone numbers, maps, directions. Certainly. And I, I wrote down between Saturday and Wednesday, I wrote 11 of these calls, whether they're Skype, whether they're Zoom, whether they're, you know, on, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. but I mean, railroad community had 10 of the 11 Gosh. and the, I think it was one of my church groups, sure. but it's but in in five days I had eleven groups that I had. I'm glad I wrote them down because it's, I'm sure I would have slept through one of them. Mm. So uh, and uh, and I got a doctor's appointment, a dentist appointment, and I got to go pick up my pants because I've lost <laughs> I lost forty pounds. Wow! Congratulations. Is that a COVID thing or is that just a in general thing? In general, I I wanted to get healthy, mm -hmm. so I. I get a free gym as part of my um, my Medicare, mm -hmm. and I I got on the exercise bike, and I didn't go aerobics, so to speak. I wasn't really cranking like Lance Armstrong. I was just doing a serious ride where you'd look at the number and try to keep your you know your heart rate up around 80, Certainly. 85, something like. That. But I don't know what you you hit it a little harder. I mean, it wasn't a leisurely pace, mm -hmm. and quit eating snacks, quit going to fast food places. Well, that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I lost about a one to two pounds a week, Ooh. and I was down 25 pounds when COVID hit. Okay. So I lost my, lost my gym, and walking doesn't do a whole lot, but I would hang at 195, mm -hmm. then I got down to 191. And, uh, um, but I found a pair of pants where I worked part. They gave us free clothes. Mm-hmm. I found a literally a brand new pair of pants that had never been worn. It had stickers on it. It had the tape, you know, over the, you know, over the where the belt goes. Mm -hmm. I said, "This is silly. I'm not going to throw these away." And I took them to this tailor and said, "Make these smaller. Make them a little too tight, which is okay because I'm losing weight." So they mm -hmm. did, and I went back to pick them up in, uh, in, um, in on Tuesday. So, uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I've lost a ton of weight. Cool. And, Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. So the, the show I'm editing, I actually did our preamble as the introduction to the show. And that's uh -huh. such a great story. Do you mind me using that as the preamble, the introduction to the show for this you recording? Say, hey, yeah, but, you can certainly use it. I am. We're all part of this community. I mean, it is, um, there is a level of social capital in mm -hmm. this hobby mm -hmm. and places like you and places like the OPSIG really develop and flourish it's uh you know how you have computer memory mm -hmm. that it's really not static memory you got to refresh it every other cycle you know Certainly. what i mean most of it's the same idea that these these connections you know if you do them you know every week every month you'll remember your buddies and then you know in a year and a half when we can go back out in the streets we'll remember and, Very uh, good. and uh, but i mean if you're doing so much for the hobby i i would hope other hobbies are doing as well as we are i mean i literally i don't think i have room for any except thursday and friday they're the only open days but i mean <laughs> i am i am busy very good mike Adoni, let's get this show on the road let's get it started thank you very much for providing the intro okay
Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype, May 23rd, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We're recording weekly. We've been recording weekly for quite some time now. We have Mike O'Dorney on the line, but we also have Mike Slater. And as I was just briefly chatting with Mike O'Dorney, I might throw to Mike Slater initially. So one of the topics I was thinking about with regards to, you know, potentially floating this show is how do you think the hobby has changed inextricably due to COVID-19? And what kinds of thoughts do you have associated with, I mean, obviously, Train Fest is still on the horizon, but do you think the way people do the hobby has changed through this period? Do you think the hobby will go back to normal in, in some regard, or do you think there have been sufficient learnings through this period of time that the hobby will kind of continue a memory of this lockdown period going forward? Wow. <laughs> Hard question up front. Yeah. Um, kind of heard it say, I'd say most model railroaders are um, very social uh, beings in our own nature. Now we, we tend to, even though there, there are the, the uh, lone wolf, uh, wolfers, as one would say, but typically even the lone wolfers have friends within the hobby that they communicate with. So they're not totally alone with the only exception. Maybe they're the only ones uh, operating trains on their layouts as for same. Um, as far as will it go back to a previous normal? Uh, I think it will. Um, I've heard of a few people uh, within my uh, NMRA division that are still having uh, operating sessions on their home layouts. Um, be though they they really don't advertise it uh, to the world, you know, uh, when they are, and that's just kind of the, the close circle of friends that are doing it. But you know, they're I, I would say everybody's going to have to uh, take the information and knowledge of what this COVID nineteen is and practice their their safe net um, zone, whether it be uh, if they have a few friends that are single individuals that don't get out uh, much in the world, maybe it's safe for those individuals to, to get together comparing, you know, people that may have to travel to their jobs and at where you may not be sure how safe uh, of an environment that individual might be. So, you know, there's going to be some going back to norm. There'll be some for some, there'll be some that'll be some social distancing probably for a little bit longer period of time. Uh, it's really hard to say, what's all going to happen, you know, just because I, I don't have the crystal ball. If I had had a crystal ball, I don't know if I would would have volunteered to <laughs> be the superintendent and, and run for being superintendent. Yes. I think I've, um, at least within, within my division, I'm not sure about other divisions, I've um, uh, certainly had more uh, than I think that I can personally handle. But uh, as some would say, the Lord uh, uh, doesn't give you more than what you can handle. So... Uh, I wonder just how much more he thinks I can handle, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> preach, preach, brother Mike, preach. Yeah. <laughs> so it is interesting. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit because certainly the kind of tapestry of like potential here in California is very curious. I mean, I think the, the experience for me has been associated and you've done this too, actually. I've seen this through your photos of your garden and things like that. You've, You've taken on other hobbies, I feel, in some regard. I mean, maybe you worked on your garden 
last year and the year before and what have you, but you seem to be taking more pleasure in particular aspects of, of your life, which are ultimately, you know, hobbies, want a better term. Yeah. And I think what's interesting through this, and particularly talking to so many people on this podcast, is that the reverence for the hobby through this period of time, I think has, and Mike Adoni was talking about this as well, has certainly increased. The level of communication, the level of community, virtual community, utilizing these utilities um, is certainly increased. What will be interesting is we are in our own little cloud, you know, our own little social media, what have you. I think those of us that participate, or a majority of us that participate in Model Rail Radio are, you know, tech-savvy, you know, social network-savvy people. What interests me is whether the people in the hobby who have historically been lone wolf modelers are spending more time in the hobby and what their feedback will be. And I think looking at other hobbies currently, I, you know, have interest in wargaming and, and, you know, various kind of historical military hobbies and get various bits and pieces. And they're suffering the same issues as well in terms of being large convention hobbies that, you know, people get together at the conventions and they'd buy stuff and meet people and talk. And it was as much social as it was commerce, but it was certainly still there. And they are going through the same thing. In fact, what's interesting is seeing how the various hobbies that I have some connection with are dealing with this. My wife is a quilter. I'm actually in my wife's quilting room currently. I think your mother's a quilter as well, isn't she, Mark? Y- yes, she is. <laughs> so you know what's happening through this through this thing for quilters as well. I mean, yeah. they're not missing a beat and the production is just uh, is just through the roof. So I think what's fascinating through this is that this is a time... In some regard, I mean, obviously, brutal, horrible, a lot of really bad things have come through this as well. But the societal change, the shift, I would like to say, based on what has happened, it'll be very interesting to see whether we'll go back to being, you know, similar, identical, or whether the whole kind of, you know, way of thinking has changed, basically. And I think Mm -hmm. within hobbies in particular, this is a fascinating time. This is a fascinating time just to watch... I'm editing um, Gordy Robinson's audio currently and reflecting very heavily on some of the ideas that he passes on through that audio. So, yeah, I'm, I remain highly optimistic that hopefully things will change, but also that the resources that people have spent decades... I mean, you've spent decades in the hobby, right? <laughs> you've, you've, you've got resources that date back to you as a you know young boy spending time with your father. Um, yeah. And to capture some of that audio and some of those ideas have been really fascinating as well. Do you foresee... I mean, it's interesting the notion that there are... And this is what I was thinking about with regards to the guys in the UK, the guys in Kent, is that they are one of these social groups where they could come potentially sometime in the future to some agreement that they would meet in very particular circumstances physically. But they are currently meeting virtually. And it's interesting that you say in your area there are still people in certain circumstances that are still doing operating sessions, but they have basic rules. So, I mean, for example, you know, we talked to Jim Lincoln, we talked to Ron Kluss, we talked to people that have a lot of contact through their work and have to, you know, maintain all this, you know, personal safety-related stuff through that. But these are the kind of people that would be excluded, I guess, from the operating sessions that you're describing because they have a lot of, you know, public contact, for want of a better term. As far as my understanding, I... I only learned of this one operating session 
with uh, when we had our board of directors meeting and at uh, uh, the one one of the board members kind of mentioned that uh, one individual was still doing operating sessions that he had found out about and uh, he you know he works uh, construction a construction site and that he was still offered to to come over and that hmm. uh, just because you know he he knew that that particular individual the type of safety that uh, he takes in that. Uh, but yet other people that I know that had operating layouts, uh, one gentleman, he's, I believe now, I think he just turned 90. He hasn't had an, an operating session or anybody over, uh, besides a couple of his children to his house. Mm. Uh, just because again, you know, age and, uh, uh, the fear of, uh, not knowing what could walk in, in the door and that Certainly. type of thing. Um, so like I, I was t- talking to a few individuals also this afternoon and that everybody I think needs to personally look at uh, their, their environment. You know, there's more and more information coming out about COVID-19. Mm. I'm not saying everybody should go out running the streets and that, but I think everybody needs to, to look at their health history, their family's health history and make educated decisions. Mm. Um, for what's best with them because we did our first uh, paid advertisement for train fest and mm. it was kind of a mixed um, uh, response on Facebook. There were some individuals that were happy to see that we were as of now still continuing planning moving forward with train fest. Mm. Yet you had other individuals basically saying, are you crazy? Mm. Are, are you nuts? Um, yeah, it's difficult to predict. I mean, in particular, they talk about like a second wave, which is really the kind of full period, which is leading into train fest. Yeah. So, you know, the the difficulty is that there's no, like the science is being created currently, right? There's no, yeah. there are examples of viruses like Corona, but there aren't, there isn't the coronavirus in, in uh, 19 in terms of actual science. Yeah. So a lot of the prediction, and it's interesting because I think the the notion of personal choice, obviously, for folks in the front lines who have to interact with the public, they have to be incredibly careful. But yeah. the other optional interactions and these kind of things it will, I think, like you say, come down to personal choice, and some people will be more, you know, careful as they have yeah. to be, uh, and others will be more interested. But increasingly, yeah, certainly where I as I sit down looking over Northern California, I see a strong contrast uh, between people that aren't, you know, just, I mean, particularly the young, don't seem to be taking social distancing or these kind of things. They, you still see them kind of congregating in groups. We went out briefly yesterday uh, to do a little bit of shopping and it was extraordinary. You know, there were still people walking on the streets without masks, which it, normally here is a, a police, you know, principle. But yeah, it is interesting just getting a sense of the the world as it is kind of locally and, you know, making decisions based on that. For me personally, if I, I go into a grocery store or any type of uh, uh, big box store and, and that I'm I'm wearing a, a mask, you know, in some cases I might even be wearing rubber gloves and that mm. it's just the precaution that, that I feel is the best direction to make in, in some stores like the grocery store that we shop at. They don't have a mandate for for face masks so mm. yeah you, you'll see some people wearing face masks and you'll see some people not wearing fa- face masks and you know I, I i personally feel that maybe everybody when you're in a, 
a location where you can't social distance, at least right now, I would say it's the best safety precaution to wear a face mask. Amen. Um, Amen. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you have your mother, I guess. So you have a, you know, you have a particular person in your environment who, uh, you know, may just by age alone be more susceptible. So, yeah. Interesting times, Mike. Interesting times. Yep. So in terms of the hobby, let's talk, let's talk nice hobby related <laughs> stuff. You are, I mean, I was really thoroughly impressed with the progress that you've made on the bridge. It was wonderful to see a locomotive on it. It was funny, actually, when I saw the locomotive, I looked at, this looks like an O-scale bridge. <laughs> <laughs> actually, quite, quite a few people made that comment that, oh, I, I'm surprised it's HO. It look, you know, it looks so large in it. Yeah, it was the quality of the locomotive more than anything. I think you picked a good locomotive to, to run across yeah. the bridge because that was immediately my, view was this bridge is far larger than I originally anticipated. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the progress that you've made. Um, actually, um, I, I have the, the bridge now mounted in, in the module permanently, so it's uh only way it's coming out is if I break it out. Um, so that's either a good thing or, or a bad thing, depending on how things go ahead, but the track is laid now, uh, and tomorrow it's supposed to be a somewhat nice day here in Wisconsin in the... Uh, uh, around 80 degrees for those that live in the United States, you'd know what I would talk about. Those in the rest of the world can go to Google and translate it. Uh, but uh, it's supposed to be a nice day, so I figure I'm going to start putting on some ground cover. Wonderful. Wonderful. And in terms of the heft factor, I mean, seeing the locomotive and getting lost in the scale, how heavy is the actual module? I didn't uh, weigh it, but uh, it... Uh, I may still try to look at ways maybe of adding some lightning holes mm-hmm. and putting a, a thin veneer on the sides, uh, but I don't know how much weight that's going to reduce. It's probably going to be one of those modules. It's going to take a couple of, of course, when how we set them up, it, a couple of guys are holding on to the module as we set up the layout. Certainly. But it's most definitely going to be a, a two-person module to uh, transport if it has to go any, any type of distance in that uh, for, for the way. Right now, I'm moving it around from the storage shed to where I've been working on the back patio by putting it on a little push cart. uh, And so, you know, I am am able to to move it, you know, around by myself right now, but um, eventually it's going to have to get to the box car. So I'm for it's um, ever more storage uh, location um, over at the caboose museum. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, uh, but I figured as long as it's nice out right now and, and that I can at least do the basic ground cover, but when it comes to getting ready to plant the trees and do the overhead cantonary wire, mm. uh, trolley wire, it's going to have to then be transported to the boxcar for that type of work. Interesting. So you've already planned out the work. Let's talk a little bit about lightening the, the load, so to speak. Do you have places where you can actually like drill in you know, the, the holes and these kind of things? I mean, how much weight do you think you can actually lose by removing some of the... Uh, underlying structure that's that's the problem i uh i kind of thought about that and i don't know if it would be enough of a weight reduction mm-hmm. when i built built the module instead of going with like uh the typically in the past i would have gone with three quarter inch birch plywood and i reduced that down to a half inch mm-hmm. uh which on some of the smaller trolley modules that i've built in at um uh, they're lightweights compared to my HO scale Fremo modules. Mm-hmm. Just as kind of getting close to the Fremo module size. And it's probably about 
the average weight of of the Fremo module, but being used to the the trolley, other smaller trolley modules I have, you know, and how lightweight they are, it is a an eye opener. But <laughs> you know, could could I have made it multiple piece? Probably could have, but then on the other hand, I don't think it'd be structurally sound, especially with the bridge. I, I felt it was, the way I constructed the module it was the the best for protecting the the bridge in the long term. So you mentioned adding trees, but when would you add the water? Would you add the water when it's still at your place, or you would you wait till it got to the final storage place before you added the water? I probably will wait till I get to the final storage uh, location because I'll you know I'll airbrush and get all the prep work done, ready to pour the water. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when I would go into the box car uh, with it after I pour the uh, the water, I could at least lay a plastic sheet over the top of it to prevent dust from getting on, on the epoxy water. Certainly. Cool. So, so that, that aspect, you know, it would be safe. Cause otherwise right now I've been doing all the work outdoors. So it, I don't think it'd be best to pour the, the resin and having it sit outdoors overnight. Mm, certainly. Certainly. So when you're done with this, what's your next project? I have, uh, Mr. Rent, uh, has been slowly progressing on the, uh, Racine Depot that, uh, for the North Shoreline. Mm. So that will be probably the next module to construct. Um, that one I, uh, have been kind of roughing out the module framework construction on that one. And I may look into maybe reducing some of the components from half inch to quarter inch, uh, thick plywood. Mm. But that's, uh, again, something I'll, I'm going to have to look at, at least with the CAD software. I can enter in material types and get a rough idea for what the overall weight of the module is going to be. But uh, being that I, uh, again, where the depot is located uh, within the module in the scene, uh, could I break it down to two four-foot-long modules? Yes, I could. Mm. However, the depot would be in the middle of the seam line. And uh, I I believe for continuity... Uh, for how the scene would be, it'd be best to, to have it, uh, be about the seven and a half foot long length that right Certainly. now it's kind of being worked out at. Interesting. So, yes. How, how big is that? I mean, that's clearly a big structure that needs a good length of, how, how big is the final model? Well, the depot, well, the depot, or are you talking the depot or the bridge? The depot. The depot actually isn't really that large. It's just the, the location of it. With on the plot of land that the, the depot was located between oh, the two okay. cities, um, the the depot would would have been probably your your average small town or you know type oh, okay. size depot. So it's not a large place. structure. It's it's its no. location to the bridge that makes it difficult. Correct. Interesting. Interesting. It's been a long time since we've heard from uh, the rents in terms of the hobby. Um, is is Jim still? Does he still have a kit? company is he still producing kits his laser had gone down a few years back okay and and then with uh two of his kids getting married believe and, me <laughs> and, um, he um uh, he had to put the business on the back burner but uh, he, he recently just got a new laser and Wonderful. he's uh actually done some burning with it and now he's got to learn all the new settings and Ooh. and get all the settings set up correctly and then go through every thing that he had done in the past and recalibrate everything for uh the new laser but uh no he's 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 back back at it um 
Uh, I know I, me and him have been discussing some possible new kit ideas, and so he's got a lot of stuff in the pipeline and that. Uh, it's just Wonderful. The, the matter of getting the, the tool that he uses uh, working to his satisfactory. Certainly. I mean, I think the nature of the stuff that he was producing and the quality that he was producing requires exactly what you described. Please encourage him to uh, to call into Model Royal Radio sometime. And Peter, was Peter one of the married ones? He was, did, no. no? He did, just heavily engaged. Well, uh, l- luckily, that, that didn't go through. Oh, didn't it? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, but no, his, his uh, Jim's two eldest uh, children, his eldest son and eldest daughter. Right. Uh, both got married, and of course now he's uh, Grandpa Jim. So most definitely, most definitely. Um, but no, P- Peter, uh, he's uh, he's doing good. Uh, so it, it's all good, and that with Peter. Wonderful, wonderful. Say no more. I don't need to know anymore. And uh, <laughs> thank you for giving me update that you've been right. Yeah, look, yep. shout outs to the rinse. Um, if they have an opportunity to call in, particularly if Jim is. Uh, is restarting his business would be wonderful to I mean the notion the the changes in this technology in the lasers and in the 3D printers and just within three years, you know, the technology changes uh it's just amazing the forcing in many regards that the hobbies are having on these equipment manufacturers to improve the resolution and the quality. Uh, I mean, you you actually own you own a laser, don't you? Yes, I. That's uh, <laughs> kind of one of those stories. When uh, uh, Jim actually, before the laser he has now, he actually bought one of the Chinese K40s because mm. uh, Mike Deverell initially had bought one, and mm. uh, uh, Jim from North Coast Engineering also kind of bought one, and uh, he figured that he'd go with that, and uh, uh, he did a, a test burn and was t- talking with Mike Deverell. He goes, no. For for what we want to do, you have to buy this component, mm. and so Jim, Jim ordered it and looked at it and um and kind of went, no, this isn't for me, and so he ordered a laser that he really wanted, and mm. uh, uh, he said, come up and get this uh, Chinese K40. So <laughs> I, I I have I have the K40. I do you want to know I, a funny I, story, Mike Slater? And this is a really <laughs> funny st- story. I know so many people that own K40 lasers that Facebook keeps recommending me the K40 laser Facebook group because it's like you have so many friends that have this thing. You need, you must have one yourself as well. I don't yet have a K40 laser, but as, an, as the proud owner of a K40 laser, although it's been rejected from uh, you know Jim Rent stock, what what is the what's the experience like with it? Are you are you having fun? Truthfully and honestly, since I got it from Jim uh, this last fall. It's been sitting in the boxcar where I put it into storage over mm. the, the uh, cold winter nap and just haven't had the time. So maybe after I'm done with this bridge, maybe I'll revisit and look at the K40 and, and seeing about getting that fired up and, and testing it out and getting it working. Um, there was one other component after I got it. Uh, I was talking with Mike Deverall that mm. uh, he forgot to tell Jim to, to purchase. So I purchased those components and, I just have to sit down and rewire some of the wires. I, I don't like the quality mm. of wire that the Chinese used in there, mm. especially on the 110 accessory line. Mm-hmm. Um, just um, with my father, when he was alive, he was a, a maintenance man and mm-hmm. taught me a lot of things. And <laughs> I mean, if he would have seen that, he would have been uh, getting out the wire cutters and cutting the wires out and replacing them like I would be doing. Mm. 
That's interesting. And the accessory arm's the moving arm, I'm assuming, you're describing. So it has travel in it that the wire needs to have some flexibility um, in, or am I mistaking that? Well, there, no, there, there, it's not that there's a, um, they have a uh, 110 accessory so you can plug in the exhaust fan. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. Uh, ah, okay. 110 voltage is your house, uh, house current. Yes. And they're using wire I wouldn't even use on a 12-volt circuit. Hmm. Fun times, fun times. It's interesting that Mike Deverell writes this laser, and certainly he has produced some amazing stuff out of it. So the the K40 laser that he initially has is no longer technically in existence. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, he he ended up building his own uh, laser using what's known as uh, 8020 material, which is an extruded aluminum uh, T-slotted type material, and I think his now he can almost put a sheet of plywood in, in it. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Because the K40 was, was too small for some of the larger structures that he wanted to build without having to do multiple uh, sections on the walls. So the, the more, the more you, t- you talk with Mike in that, you'll find out that um, <laughs> he, he has no fear on taking something. And if it's not what he wants, either modifying it or building it the way that he wants it uh, to do what he wants. And you've also explained why there is a K40 Facebook group, because clearly if people are hot-rodding and, and breaking up and rebuilding and this kind of stuff, clearly there's a very active community of, of people who are making modifications to these lasers. Oh, yes. Fascinating stuff. Well, Mike Slater, you've uh, certainly been worth the cost of admission today. Thank you very much for uh, for calling in. We have Clark Cooning on. I did want to get to him, but uh, you know how we do things. If anything comes back up, please do jump back in. Oh, yeah. Pleasure chatting as always. Yep. Take care. Okay, let me stop and restart the recorder since I actually have... I'd like to welcome on Clark Cooney. Clark, this is a perfect show for you to call into. We're philosophizing associated with how COVID-19 has changed the hobby. And for the good, for the bad, for the ugly, for what have you. What are your thoughts associated with... I mean, I think everyone can agree... Having a hobby is a great thing to have at this time, and there's been a lot of learning really through this period of time. How do you see the hobby changing based on you know the new normal, so to speak? Yeah, I, it's interesting you say that, um, uh, and it's a good topic actually for me today. I had there was a gentleman in our club in town. He wasn't a recent member, but uh, he was always kind of around type of thing. And, uh, unfortunately he passed away in February and now, um, one of his friends, his wife has asked his friend who, uh, was also involved in our club to dispose of his layout. Well, he came to me and he says, what do we do? And I said, well, this is a bad, bad situation. If, if it's truly about, you know, making the dollar, because in these circumstances, you either have to do a lot of work on eBay, etc., because there are no train shows, there's no flea markets, there's no there's no way to sell it on a personal level, hmm. and that's a big issue. Um, so uh, you know, I think that's also an issue for people who are just getting into the hobby. They don't hmm. have that avenue to buy relatively used stuff in person yes 
Um, I mean, you can go to eBay, but to be honest, I think the eBay prices for most of the stuff is way inflated and Mm -hmm. people are buying stuff that really don't know the value of what they're buying. And for the most part, for the most part, um, they're overpaying. Now, there are some very good sellers that price it accordingly. But if you get into that bidding war, uh, some people just go crazy and Mm. you're you're bidding up stuff that is, you know, a forty dollar, sixty dollar locomotive, and all of a sudden you're at one hundred and twenty. Well, it wasn't even one hundred and twenty when it was new. Mm. So it's it's um it's a it's a situation which is bad for the the new people coming into the hobby. Um, they don't get to experience a a train show or a flea market or you know railroad flea market and and that. So um, and for people who have in this case, recently just passed away. Um, what do they do with the stuff? Uh, in this particular case, the the young lady, uh, his widow, isn't uh, you know a spring chicken, and and uh, so therefore, how does she handle all this stuff? Mm. And um, so I think that's one of the one of the COVID. Um, things that has happened uh, you know i think if we look at the hobby in general i think that's a major issue um i think the smaller hobby shops who maybe didn't mm. th- who didn't maybe go online um they may not be able to come back mm. um now some of the smaller ones may have done um you know uh curbside pickup type of thing mm-hmm um, but still, you for the for the shops that have online system and can do mail order and stuff, they're in a much better position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in my particular instance, I was working on my layout uh, for the last I don't know five six weeks, and I know our friends at Credit Valley are awfully happy to see my emails. Yes, yes. But uh, you know, it's it is a it is a, a hard thing, and I think for the newer people, that's a problem. Now, on the other hand, for the newer people, if they're online and sort of trying to learn, you know, uh, what uh, Gord did with the uh, NMRA oh, yeah. conventions, oh, yeah. um, that's a huge bonus. There's other uh, divisions now doing online stuff. There is um, virtual conventions. There's... So I think the learning part is helpful, but I don't think there's anything better than going to someone's layout or going to a seminar, a clinic at a train show or wherever it is and seeing it live and having that interaction with the, with the person giving the clinic, like, Oh, how did you do that again? Or can I see that? Like, Mm. how did you actually cut that? Or, um, that those are the questions that sometimes you just don't get, of course, especially when it's a video presentation. You don't get that feedback back and forth. So I feel bad for the newer people who really want to be sponges and learn a lot hmm. on the personal level. But you know, on the on the computer, it's uh, it's opened up a whole new new gamut of stuff. So I think it's. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that people during this time have learned a lot about 
their skills, their model railroading. Certainly. And maybe we'll go, when all this goes over, I'm going to go out and learn more, and I'm going to build the next railroad, you know? Hmm. So I'm hoping it will it will be a, a jump start to a certain point of the hobby. So let's decompress some of those, because you raised a number of issues there. I think what's interesting with the hobby stores, which is perhaps what what was missing in your discussion was the nature of browsing the nature of like interacting and that this is train shows as well your ability to kind of browse and look and pick and see you know the this takes out some of the risk in some regard uh whereas you know a strictly mail order diet so to speak for for a model railroader could net you know things which aren't quite what you originally wanted and you say the cost and you know the cost benefit through that so totally yeah. agree totally agree with you you know model railroaders for the most part are touchy-feely people they want to pick it up off the shelf feel it look at it think about it go around the store come back feel it touch it and especially for the newer people mm-hmm. they want to say to the to the uh, salesperson how do i use this yes. how this this looks great. This looks like it will do what I want it to do, but how do I apply it, or will it do what I want to do? Hmm. And we don't have that. You have a catalog, and you order it, and it takes your chances. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. So certainly, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's an interesting aspect. I think the social aspect of the hobby, we try. We try virtually to do some of this stuff. And I think, I mean, certainly... Uh, you know, Mike O'Donny, Mike Slater, you and I, we've all broken bread at one stage, one train show at least. In the case of you and me, over many different sushi uh, restaurants. <laughs> but no, I mean, my view with regard to it is the social aspect of this hobby is difficult to distill digitally, but I'm damn trying as hard as I can to do it. But I think what's interesting is that the the nature of the friendships that this hobby produces can exist virtually for a period of time. So I'm less concerned in part about that. I think for new people that are starting to participate or interact or just get a sense of this community virtually, obviously, you know, it will take time before you'll be able to meet people in person. I am probably more shell-shocked than most associated with international travel because it's a luxury that I have utilised and I'm starting to think abused in order to maintain a number of really interesting uh, personal connections. I feel that with regards to the the folks in Kent and also the folks in Australia who I'm able to see or have been historically able to see at least once every three years. So, yeah, it is an interesting time for that aspect. But you are so heavily involved with the, um, you know, modeling with masters, that kind of tutorial part. The feedback associated with, like, can you show this a different way? Can you do this again? Can you describe this? That, to a certain extent, interacts with some of the video platforms it may just be a matter of finding video platforms that allow for real-time feedback or more real-time feedback i mean do you think that would work or is there is there something yeah, I, that is just required I, in to, person to a certain extent i agree with you but then i have to almost become proficient in another hobby in order to my proficient in my hobby <laughs> yeah you know, I've even tried uh, experimenting a couple of things here with the computer and a and a diff- couple of different little cameras and stuff. And I think 
there's help out there to get that going so it's a little mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for a model train guy who most most of us, I think, well, my age are probably very familiar with the computer, but maybe not in the media. Yeah, the production side of things. And that, that yeah. you need, right. So that becomes, a, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to sit and learn this. Mm. And, um, you know, you, you eventually of it will pick it up. But, uh, in the meantime, uh, I could have been weathering a boxcar and working on my way up. So it's, you know, where do you want to spend your time? <laughs> Certainly. I mean, I think the best practices, I mean, I'm seeing this professionally as well. The best practices with regards to lighting and these kind of things are, coming more you know but again you're right this is this is time taken away from the hobby fundamentally and i look at the stuff that martin jenkins was doing a year and a half ago particularly with lighting particularly with filming very small detailed stuff and i mean you've been involved obviously with barry silverthorne's productions which are you know absolutely top notch so you've had all these experiences which hopefully we can build from it is interesting the notion that we now have to become proficient in other things in order to communicate a hobby. And it, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound snobbish, but a little bit, I guess I am. You know, I see these little videos on, on, on the Facebook pages and I see this layout and, and I know the guy's maybe new and, but he's very proud of whatever he did and he's filming it. And I go, Oh my God, why am I seeing this? And, you know, the train goes by you at 100 miles an hour, and I'm thinking, oh, at least slow it down. But, um, and I don't want to be giving a clinic, and, and some guy go, oh, Christ, that's a terrible clinic because he doesn't know how to film. So that also holds you back because you want to do it, at least in my case, I want to do it right. And I want people to go, I want people to say, oh, that Clark Cooning, he, he did a really nice job on that. And mm. because well, I, I think these resources are going to get shared eventually. I mean, certainly I've talked to Tom Gazier and, and, uh, Gordy and they are creating resources currently. My hope is that they'll be critiqued and exported and discussed and all these sure. other things. But I think it, it's interesting actually looking at other hobbies. So, as you well know, I have an interest in, you know, military, toy soldiers, wargaming, these kind of things. And they're having exactly the same situation that model is having. The conventions are drying up, like every possible means of meeting large game clubs where they actually have to physically go and play games. So now they're trying solo gaming and all this other stuff and finding a wide variety of interesting corners around that. But it's interesting seeing these hobbies, and obviously Michelle's a quilter as well, and how they're adapting each uniquely to the current situation. Yeah. The, the need for social interaction virtually, I mean, my view is I've always been relatively candidly scornful of a lot of these platforms like Zoom and what have you, because they kind of miss certain key points. But it'd be interesting to see what happens in the next you know, six months even, particularly with Facebook as a platform. Potentially, Facebook video could improve, and now I understand there are production suites, which is what Gordy was using for um, NMRAX. So, yeah, I think maybe the tool makers, the actual, you know, video tool makers may provide stuff in the future where they can critically say to you, you need more lighting, or you need to hold the camera still, or there's too much blur. I mean, all this kind of feedback could potentially be given 
so people less have to be, you know, video professionals, yeah. I guess. Well, apparently, apparently there's some little company on somewhere that's even doing it for, you know, how uh, CBS or NBC or here in Canada, CTV, they they have their newscaster from at home doing the weather or whatever Certainly. it is. Yes. And apparently they rate these people on their background, what they're wearing, and then they send it to them and say, if you want more information, you have to pay. But it's become a whole little cottage industry that you can, they can tell you, oh, you don't want to be doing that, sir. You got to do lighting. You got this. Yes. And I thought that was fascinating. Well, it's certainly the opportunities are there for folks who are interested in the, in the current times. Clark, in terms of a hobby, what have you been doing in the past week? What, what's currently, you know, on your workbench? What's the stuff that's keeping you? Well, it busy? has been a very, very busy week here at the old, uh, in the old layout room. I have, uh, finished all the mountains. I got all the rock work done. I started staining the rocks, uh, and uh, I've got them all done, and I've got about, uh, I don't know, 10 feet of static grass done. And uh, wow. it has made, really made the, the rocks and everything just Hop. jump out. Yep. And uh, so I try and do a little bit every day, usually at night, because uh, right now the days here at uh, in beautiful Elliott Lake, Ontario, have been just spectacular. Hmm. Um, they've been, you know, 75 and... Uh, if you have to get out in between the big black flies and uh, who will eat you. Mm. Uh, there's a song about black flies, and they say, just leave my bones to the black flies, and they will take you right down to the bone. Very good. They're like the piranhas of uh, flying insects. But uh, I've been outside uh, doing a lot of stuff out there, uh, and uh, I've been actually taking a few models and kind of working on lighting aspects, even though mm. it's outside. Wonderful. I've been just trying to figure out how to put some lighting in some different buildings and so forth. And uh, I I actually tried to get a hold of Walter Reed, um, who has been on the show a couple times. Walter uh, has a little YouTube video on doing NeoPixels mm. with Arduinos and – he showed it to me, and I was really fascinated how he could get these different colors and different intensities with these NeoPixel lights, LEDs. And uh, he said it's all controlled with his uh, Arduino. And um, when you turn down the lights in the room, then it starts the sequence on the buildings. And mm. when you turn the lights back up in the room, it automatically figures out the uh, ambient light and then shuts down all the lighting in the uh, buildings. Wonderful. So I found, I found that really like kind of fun and interesting. And, and he cost me 35 bucks or something to get nano. So they're on their way. <laughs> mm. So um, let's talk about this because, I mean, obviously point source – Lighting in rooms and these kind of things is a no-brainer, but are there any interesting tricks and techniques that are being used as well there, or is it just a matter of finding, you know, lamps or televisions or what have you and making sure that there are light sources attached? As far as the layout, I I have learned a lot. Jerry Cornwell, who I mm -hmm. think was on one of our shows, oh, yeah. um, he is a lighting expert. He taught it at school. He worked uh, – he – would be a consultant in museums and big buildings. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, he taught, gave quite a fantastic, 
given it quite a few several times at NMRA events and other events where he talks about lighting and uh, I always remember his uh, little clinic he gave to our class and matter of fact uh, we have a group and when they came to my previous home he really liked some of my lighting and he made suggestions on others <laughs> and then the next year when they came back in the rot- when I was in the rotation of the different group, uh, houses mm-hmm. uh, he went ah this is perfect and uh, he explained how what it did to the to the layout to, to the whole uh, club and and it was fascinating so I've always stuck to those practices in terms of actual techniques what are you doing specifically with these nano lights Oh, for, well, the nano lights are for the inside mm-hmm. of, of structures. Certainly. I haven't got them yet, but, uh, with. But is it a matter of just finding, is it a matter of finding things within the structures where, or is it that the things don't exist? You're actually suggesting that there are things inside the structures based on the nano lights. Yes. Yes. There's no, I'm not putting interiors in a, in a big office or a industrial building, but I want, certain effects i want the lighting to come on and i want you know in a night scene i want the lighting in the buildings to be on and then of course during the day i really don't want any Mm. um so um what walter has done he's programmed all that in and um it's it seems really fantastic Mm. uh and his little youtube video um uh, I'll maybe try and find it if uh, when you go to talk to someone else, and I'll uh, put it in the chat, and somebody can have a look at it. It's really a, an interesting uh, way of doing it. Um, you know, the the nanos uh, one they give you multiple colors, so you can have different color balances and different brightnesses. Whereas if you go to the let's say the Woodland Scenics, which are really nice for people who just want some simple lighting for structures. The only problem is even when you dim them down, sometimes they're still too bright. Mm, yes. Um, so you'd either have to put a resistor in and stuff. And the, one of the reasons why people use that is because they're not really electrically involved. They just want to have lights. Certainly. So um, that plug and play method that Woodland Scenics works perfectly for the, for those people. But even still, if you want to really have some fun with the lighting, I think this idea that uh, Walter has is a, is a fantastic idea. Hmm. Well, clearly we have to go and check out that video, Clark Cooning. Thank you very much I, for... Uh, I will sit in the chat shortly. Wonderful. Thank you for calling in today. Uh, we do have Will Merrill, so I'll have a chat with Will. Uh, but a pleasure chatting with you as always. You know how we do things. If something comes up, please bring back up your audio. I will. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you, sir. I would like to welcome on Will Merrill. Will, I don't think we've had a chance to chat since the new normal took force. In terms of model wire rating, in terms of uh, things, how is uh, the new normal affecting you in the hobby? And we have a series of questions that you've missed out on. So I'll, let's start with that, and then I'll ask some of the other questions we've been exploring. Well, for the most part, it's kind of put the kibosh on my model railroading hobby because most of my... Uh, my hobby work was with the club, mm. and uh, I haven't been to the club in two months, yes. um, or more maybe now. So yeah, it's sort of uh, stopped a lot of it. But uh, so instead, I'm 
in the process of building a uh, layout at home. Wonderful. You yeah. can hardly complain about that. Well, no. I don't have the building. I live in doesn't have a basement, so I can't do the basement empire kind of thing. So I'm in the process of building some modules. I'm going to do a T-Track um, based layout. So I have several modules built at this point, and uh, I'm going to put them on a shelf across my living room. Mm, very nice. Very nice. So what prototype, or are you doing it freelance? Um, it'll be pretty freelance. It's um, just you know several uh, T-Track modules. Are you familiar with T-Track? I am familiar with T-Track, so yes. Yeah. But I wasn't sure whether you were following a theme within the T-Track. Not too much. I have one module that I've um, built but not finished uh, that is uh, a, um, inspired by... Some of the waterfront stuff. Uh, it's a car float. Mm-hmm. I went up to uh, do a several years ago now a uh, operation session at Dave Ramos's New York Harbor layout, and I just fell in love with the Twenty Third Street, no, the Twenty Eighth Street yard mm. um, for the Erie, and I just loved that prototype. So I've sort of taken something like that and i've scaled it down i mean it's hard to think of scaling down something as tiny as that was in the first place but scaling it down so that it all fits on a four-foot module Mm. and part of what uh, was the driving force behind that for me is in the modular world it's difficult to do operations Mm -hmm. because when you go out to a show your job is to entertain the public by running trains. Yes. So you have to have trains running all the time. Mm-hmm. So part of what got uh, got my interest was to design modules that you can do some operating on without fouling the main lines. So mm-hmm. you can have the trains running continuously still do some kind of operations so i built a little four foot long um, car float that you can uh idea is to take cars off the car float and move them up to the uh uh, freight house and you can move two at a time because that's how much room there is wonderful wonderful so i'm anxious to get that actually up and running so that I can uh, try it out. I, I, I built it a year or so ago, and I literally haven't run it yet. Interesting. <laughs> so you seem to be making the most of a bad time, so to speak. One of the topics that we raised a few shows ago that I've you know, brought back for, for guests such as yourself is associated with train shows, because obviously as things are currently, train shows seem to be a, a world away. But in terms of the hobby, how important were train shows for you? And do you have any favorite train show memories? Uh, um, well, the first train show I ever went to was in 1987. And there I discovered a, a whole world that I didn't even know was existed. It wasn't covered in the magazines or anything like that. And it was N-Track you know, modular railroading. Certainly. And, and there was a group right here in Philadelphia, and I could go and join that. 
And that was really the start of my participation over the last, oh, these many years. Um, so I've been mostly a uh, um, an N-track and now T-track as well, uh, modeler. Um, so most of my uh, participation has been in in the club or in the, you know, going to shows. So shows are where we go to run our trains. Certainly. You know, so all my trains live in a travel case. <laughs> they don't live on a layout anywhere. Yes. It is interesting so, that the, the idea that there are secrets in the hobby that you can only discover by attending shows, that the magazines well, miss large chunks of the hobby sufficiently, that by attending a show it actually shows you things that you could never see through the magazines. Yeah, and I'm not trying to badmouth any of the magazines, because they may have uh, covered it, and I've seen some articles about N-Track, but there was not much of a focus unless you went to some of the magazines that actually catered to N-Scale, particularly in stuff. Um, and in those days when I was just figuring, me and a friend were trying to figure out how to get involved in, uh, you know, to build a layout. And we heard about this N-Track thing and thought, well, we should at least build an N-Track interface so that we can play along too. And pretty much the rest of the layout kind of went away and <laughs> oh, and we did the N-Track modules uh, from that point on. So I've done a number of them over the years and different th- different variations and configurations. But the home layout has been elusive, but uh, I'm getting fairly close to being able to put something up to and running. Um, so we'll see. It's interesting the notion of the hobby as it exists through travel. So you're actually going to have to take the travel locomotives out and run them on your newly minted home layout at some stage. Yes, yes. Um, and I do have an expectation that I may dedicate particular um, locomotives. I have a a kit of an early box locomotive because that's what the Erie actually ran on their 28th Street yard was a box locomotive. So I want to see about... Um, building one from Shapeways. It's still living in a box. <laughs> I haven't cracked it open yet. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I kind of love the idea of those early locomotives. You know, I'm a model railroader. I like them. I like them ugly. You know, if they're <laughs> brutish and ugly, that Very looks good. good to me. <laughs> Very good. Well, so another thought, I mean, I'm. are you participating in any of the, like, have you seen the NMRAX convention or have you looked at the Twin Cities videos that they're doing live? Are you participating in any of the kind of, you know, new normal video things I that are coming out of the hobby? I haven't yet. Okay. I haven't yet, but that's mostly because I discover that they're happening about two weeks after they happened. Mm. So I'm trying to figure out how to get more up to date on that so that I can actually get involved with one before they're over. But I'm aware that there are such things and I just have not had a chance yet to get involved with any of them. Interesting. Yeah. When the twin cities group stopped doing it weekly and I do understand the nature of burnout with all the stuff. So, I mean, I'm not faulting them for that, but yeah, 
when they stop doing weekly things, they kind of missed a trick because folks such as yourself, if you find out about it two weeks late and they're doing it weekly, you're still going to be able to see something. I mean, I've certainly caveated in the discussions here that a lot of the stuff is, as you say, not necessarily applicable to everyone just yet. But have you gone back and looked at any of the videos at all? I haven't yet. I'm still spending a lot of time using up Netflix, so I haven't really explored. I've done some YouTube uh, watching around some of the train (laughs) stuff, but I really haven't... uh, can't say I've sucked the marrow out of that particular bone. Very good. Yeah. Thank you for keeping me off the streets. Believe me. My <laughs> wife thanks you as well. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. In terms of your experience currently, Will, do you think do you think you can project what changes I mean, just personally, it's wonderful that you're building, you know, a layout within your home. That is a wonderful thing. But in terms of the hobby in general, from your just experiences through this if we return to some degree of normalcy, if that will happen in the future, what have you learned through this period of time? What kinds of things are you, you know, going to take away? How has the hobby changed for you through the current situation? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't kind of wish I'd joined the call earlier so I could have heard, heard some of these. Most other of them are it's your responses answers. currently. Most of the response. I think people, what they did was they started with the, that's a very difficult question angle. And then they just had ideas which kind of formed their answers yeah. from that. So take take back to those ideas. What what are your thinking? What's your thinking? Um, I think that I think shows really are a good uh, a good way because the public often doesn't know the the biggest problem with uh, model railroading is always that it's you know there's some wonderful model railroading going on, but it all happens in somebody's attic or their basement or something, and nobody ever sees it. So one of the things I love about the N-Track and the modular standards is that we can take it out and show it to people out in the public. So people get to see it. And we occasionally get new members uh, through that. At least we have in the past. But I'd like to keep keep doing that. Um, I'd like to keep I'd like to see that kind of thing continue. Because I think it's really important. One of the forms that we used to do a lot of, and I, we don't do very much anymore, is uh, like go to malls, you know, set up in a mall for mm. a weekend. Because that's really, you know, that's the that that's the public unfiltered by any, Certainly. you know. If you go to a show, they've got to come to the show, which means they have to have at least enough interest to come to the show. Mm. But to go and see people, you know, out in the mall. And stuff. So I'd like to see more of that, you know, and more of uh, intriguing people about what they can do. Um, it is interesting, the notion of, I mean, certainly we've discussed this, that the, the shows as they existed within a broader community of non-model railroaders is really important. And this is what you're describing here as well. Just being model railroaders out in the general public as a means of, you know, and what interests me is particularly the non-model railroader reaction to model railroaders in a really positive and, you know, community nurturing light almost requires, as you say, now people, you know, showing in malls and these kind of areas. And that's very interesting feedback. I think certainly what malls look like going forward might be quite interesting in and of themselves. But yeah, the ability to show the hobby in a broader public facing way, I think is a really interesting idea. 
I love watching, um, you know, watching the crowd watch the trains mm. and, and um, you know, and try you know, encourage people, you know, because the, the truth of the matter is one of the beauties of a club is you don't need to have anything to begin. You can come and be useful and, and be a productive member of the club with absolutely nothing, mm. you know, and, you know, every, you know, we all learned that way. We all started with no information and no knowledge and no trains and no layout or no, you know, we all started there. Hmm. And so I like, I love to interact with the public and talk to them about that. What do you love? You know, what are your memories about trains and things, hmm. you know, and, and see what, see what comes of it. Uh, um, and that, that's really what I what I think is most important about the work that the club does uh, when we're able to. So I I have every reason to expect that that will continue in some capacity or another. Mm. I, I would be very upset if if we didn't do that anymore. Will that look differently? I don't know. If people aren't going to malls, then that's not going to happen. Mm. But I don't know how that's going to work out in the future but then i don't know that about any other aspect of life either <laughs> you know <laughs> i was thinking you know, we're all was, kind of wondering about that yeah the the outdoor nature of live steam i was thinking there might be a resurgence in live steam displays because that is something that certainly could draw the public you've got the smell you know these kind of things i'm, I'm starting to wonder if i should uh although no doubt the track would be stolen but if i created a live steam layout in my front yard. That is a way to kind of display to the public the model railroading hobby very explicitly. But also the notion that if if confined environments are no longer, you know, acceptable in terms of ways of congregating, live steam outside at least gives some availability to the, the general public to actually see it. But what's interesting in this conversation in particular is that this, and I've mentioned this before in this recording, but this is a universal discussion point in a wide variety of hobbies model railroading isn't unique here and it'll be interesting to see if we can learn from other hobbies that you know are making choices and decisions currently as well but in terms of i mean we've, we talked in very general terms in terms of you personally what has building this layout in your in your house actually meant to you after years of experience now is it just a matter of that you had a series of kind of pre-existing modules that you're putting together or are you now thinking of this very much as, at least for the foreseeable future, a home layout. It's a home layout for me. You know, back before, you know, back in the old normal, our club was getting more and more into the T-Track version. So many of our club members were building, you know, uh, T-Track modules. And, and we had gone to certain shows and displayed a T-Track module. So it was all already designing some modules with that in mind. And then I, I was sitting in my living room looking up in, at one wall, and I said, I could put a shelf across there. If I put a shelf across there, I can put T-Track modules on top of it. And all of a sudden, the whole thing became doable. Uh, um, mm. You know, it's like I suddenly realized <laughs> I could actually do this. Yes. And... and uh, and it wouldn't be, it didn't mean, you know, creating space that I don't have. 
it would you know being it would be about using space in a more creative way you know space that's already there and so i've been moving ahead with that and the thing is that you know if you go on you know there's a couple of manufacturers that make the the base kits for uh t-track modules mm. and they're really cheap mm. you know a single, you know, the base unit is like one foot by one foot, a little more, but that's how big it is. And yes. it goes for about $25 for the yes. kit. Yes. You know, for and that's the basic wood that you put together. And they're nice. And, uh, you know, so it, you know, in a hobby that is famous for nickel and diming us to death, that's <laughs> a pretty cheap way to get started. Certainly. You know, almost anybody can handle that. That's where I'm headed with it. And, um, you know, now I've got bits and pieces from, you know, like I said, I started in 87. (laughs) So I've, you know, so yes, the the hobby store in my basement. Yeah, I I resonate with that. (laughs) It is interesting, though, that it it took you, it took the current thinking, the, the new normal, and you're looking at a, at a space where a shelf would fit and you're putting it together and then, you know, this could actually be something that happens. And I think that has resonated with a lot of people in this hobby that, you know, the, the, the thinking has changed a little bit. And this is what I'm interested in seeing what happens in the future, because obviously horrible current situation, dramatic response to it. But within that, people are thinking just a little bit differently. They're looking at things slightly differently. And what comes out of this is really fascinating. So thank you very much, Will. You've provided another another data point, let us say. Well, and I'll say one other piece about that, and, and that is that actually this podcast has been a very useful thing for me because in hearing from what they do in England, mm. because you are so friendly to England, you know, to the British mm-hmm. people in, you know, in your accommodation of this thing we hear from them mm. a different style about it. they've been dealing with small space layouts i think much more than we have here in the states certainly and so i think they've got some things to teach us and and um you know so the idea of a little tiny layout that's you know uh, you know a single module that's four feet long and you know 12 inches deep and do Doing some kind of significant switching layout on that space, mm. well, you, you can, you know, um, and some of the uh, contests that you've done are very helpful for that. And I think that may be some of the new normal, mm. because what uh, you know, what all of us kids growing up reading Model Railroader. <laughs> you know, we, we always see these, you know, huge basement empires. The well, propaganda. The simple yes. facts. The simple facts are most of us don't have room for a basement empire. Moreover, the actual process of building a basement empire oftentimes can be. I mean, certainly we've heard from many basement empire builders on this podcast that they may not have gotten into it if they knew now what they know, having actually built it. So it's an interesting problem that the the magazines are obviously selling something for a reason. It sells a lot of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're advertising stuff. You're building well, a sure. basement Who empire. doesn't want one? <laughs> and, and failed basement empires probably make them just the same amount of money. So, yeah, the notion of success is an interesting thing. 
But to your point, and certainly this is true in Australia as well, although the UK voices are sometimes more in chorus on model rail radio, but they have a completely different, historically, model railroading culture that is based on a series of, I mean, in terms of Australia, you can't get the prototypes. So they had to, they had to be kit bashing everything from the get go. And what fascinates me is the difference in cultures of model railroading, as you pointed out perfectly. You've got the Canadians as well. Let's never touch on that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the difference in cultures that you have here and the ability to have an international audience and participant group has been a real luxury. And also the ability actually to interact with these folks on a personal level and see just the kind of focus on quality is something that I think we can all as a hobby learn from. The diversity and the... Just the focus on, in particular, you know, if they're, if they're showing at shows, what they want to display at the shows, how they want to display it. Usually these layouts are very small, although first Sunday in June is not a small layout by any means, but most of the layouts that they build are typically smaller, um, certainly by US standards. But yeah, it is interesting, as you say, bringing these cultures and communities together. What fascinated me, and unfortunately we had the news through the week that the NMRA show in, uh, National in Birmingham had to be cancelled. I thought mm-hmm. that would have been an interesting intersection of uh, kind of culturals in the hobby, but unfortunately, um, not to happen. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your feedback here, Will, because it's something that I personally get a lot of joy out of is seeing the different cultures in this hobby interact and, uh, you know, come to broader understandings as well. I do think that uh, some of those smaller, you know, shelf layouts may be the thing in the future Mm. um or at least a piece of it um do you have a if in terms of third-party t-track manufacturers do you have a favorite of of this group that are making t-track modules or at least the starter kits for them do you think there's one that stands out to you yeah there's one i think it's i think it's masterpiece models Mm. or something like that they seem to have a wider variety of different so, so all of the kits that I've done, um, I've purchased from them uh, so far. Mm. And in some cases, you know, modified them a good bit. I kind of like them. I, they're sort of the go-to for me uh, on that because they have a, they seem to have a nice wide variety of configurations. Mm. There's another one, and I can't remember their name off the top of my head. That, as far as I know, is is perfectly good. Others in my club have bought from them, and they seem to work fine. Mm. But, but they don't seem to have quite the as many different configurations. Mm. One of the things that's nice is that uh, the I think it's masterpiece. I, I would have to look. But one of the things that's nice about them is they they have both um, flush deck uh, modules. But they also have a drop deck, so mm. where the the wood is dropped down about an inch. Totally, that gives you some flexibility. So when I built my uh, my module for the car float, I could use the, <laughs> the drop deck and yes. then build it up so that the land part is is flush, and then the drop part is where the water will be poured. Certainly. So that, that kind of flexibility helps a lot in that sort of thing. Hmm. 
And they're operating so through the new normal, right? They're sending stuff out there. They're a functioning entity through the new normal. Oh, yeah. They, they seem to be uh, up and running just fine. They, I, I ordered some, and they came very quickly. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, when I decided to go ahead with this, I you know ordered a couple of quick modules to not the one I already had. Um, and, yeah, they, they delivered fine. Terrific. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Will. You've provided a number of, of points, lots of food for thought there. Pleasure catching up, and uh, stay safe. Yes, thank you very much. I will uh, hang on the call till it's over, and but I'll mute. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Well, folks, quality. Quality conversations, not quantity, today. A pleasure catching up with everyone. Will Merrill, a fascinating set of insights, and always a pleasure with uh, with uh, Mike O'Donny, Mike Slater, and Clark Kooning. How could you go wrong with a show like this? It also, hopefully, although as this thing winds on, maybe not so, will be fast to edit and get out. I am trying to maintain a show a week pace. I am trying to beat that whenever I can. But we are moving very swiftly towards show 200 and we need to do something special with that particular recording uh, because I think if we open it up, if we do a 24-hour model rail radio, I don't know how it will happen. But as you can see, we are very swiftly progressing towards the inevitability uh, that is show 200. So I'm happy to solicit feedback from the listenership associated with what we should do for that particular recording. Anyway, a pleasure chatting with everyone today. Thanks also to the folks for listening in. Good afternoon. Good night, all. Good night.